Alice Cooper is starting his uh, nationwide tour on June 19th in Anaheim uh, Stadium. And any of you who have seen an Alice Cooper concert knows that it's, it's really an experience. It is some kind of happening. And he's had a lot of strange things on stage with him at one time or another. But it seems that he wanted a particular artist to join him on this tour. And last week we picked up a copy of the Daily Variety, which is the trade, one of the trade papers here in Los Angeles. It says, open audition. Travel excitement, meet new friends. Alice Cooper wants you. Alice Cooper is looking for a snake to perform in his act. No prior acting, singing, or dancing experience necessary. Any species of snake can apply regardless of sex, nationality, or religious persuasion. Employee benefits include a liberal pension arrangement, free hospitalization, profit sharing, Christmas bonuses, and an occasional human sacrifice if you are the right reptile. So forth, and it says uh, limited recitations to three minutes. Aspirants must bring resumes, glossies, and proof that he or she is not venomous. We insist on the latter. Well, I understand that Alice found his uh, winner at the snake auditions yesterday, and I believe that's it sitting in front of the bag right there. Would you welcome <laughs> Alice Cooper? This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. Okay, so this week, my co-host, Sonny Pooney, has decided to take a break and go to the beach and, uh, you know, play with beach balls and uh, float on the water. I totally made all that up. I don't know what Sonny's up to this week, but I'm going to take time out to talk all about Alice Cooper, in particular, the Alice Cooper at 75 book. This thing is absolutely amazing. If you have not seen this book Go check it out. Go look it up on YouTube. Look it up on Amazon. 75 key events, releases, and collaborations in Alice Cooper's career. Now, I've said many times in the past on the podcast, I'm not the hugest Alice Cooper fan. I absolutely love the artist. I absolutely love his show. His band is amazing. For me personally, it's all about the music. And his music is kind of hit or miss to me. It's sort of all over the place. I definitely have a lot of Cooper songs that I absolutely love, but there's a ton of Cooper songs that I am just not a huge fan of. So I have sort of accumulated more so a songs that I love type library catalog versus full on albums. That's just not my thing. Pythons, Guild Teens, and Stage Blood, I'm all about that with Alice Cooper. The book was published by Motor Books, and it is written by Gary Graft, who's an award-winning music journalist based in Detroit. He's a regular contributor to Billboard magazines, Cleveland Plain Dealer, Media News Group, Ultimate Classic Rock Publications, a ton of other stuff. He's written a couple of books. Uh, he's co-authored a Neil Young book. He's also done a book on uh, Bob Seeger and a book on Bruce Springsteen. 
He's done a lot of stuff is the point, and he does a really good job about laying out Alice Cooper's career, starting with his childhood. He goes through 28 studio albums. He covers some of the collaborations he's done with people like Slash, Dave Grohl, Johnny Depp, Wayne Kramer, and more. Some of the people that he's had in his bands, they have a whole section on some of the guitar players that uh, he has had over the years in his bands. His relationship with his wife, it, it doesn't spend too much time in any one area of Alice Cooper's career, but it kind of covers everything. And there are amazing photos in this book. This book is one of those things where when you purchased an album, it was like getting a gatefold, like a Kiss gatefold album with all these extra things inside. So you not only have this hard shell cover thing that the book comes in, but then there's like uh, two posters of Alice Cooper as well as like an unpublished 8 by 10 It's just an amazing collector's item for any Alice Cooper fan, I would say. Uh, even somebody like myself that just appreciates the history of rock and roll, even though I may not be the biggest uh, Cooper fan in the world, I had to have this and it was amazing when I got it and opened it up. Just all the extra stuff that you get inside of this thing. So definitely go out and pick up Alice Cooper at 75. Now, as part of this episode, I've invited the author, Gary Graff, onto the show to talk a little bit about Alice, talk a little bit about this book, and go into some of the details. And uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. That'll be it for this week. Hope you enjoy the interview. See you next week. You get yeah, a little show, you know, because we have a lot of special effects in the show. What's your theme this year? You've done a lot of bizarre things. Yeah, this is going to be the best of. Yeah. It's going to be like we've taken five shows, and this was this is taking it all and squeezing it into one show. Right. So we're using the guillotine again. We're right. using things that were, you know, you know, were very strange before, but uh, putting them into a new context and everything. Yeah. And when you first started, it was considered wild, but now. People became accustomed to the happening, and, it, and that's what it really is, is an experience that the, that the audience really has to get in and share the whole total type of thing with you. You'd be surprised how many parents of kids that come to see the show, like when we played Lake Tahoe, <coughs> you know, we had a lot a different audience, right. and they came to see the thing, and they were really entertained. I mean, it's no more dangerous than uh, Sinbad. You know, the sailor, because it's it's an adventurous show. Alice against the nine foot cyclops. Alice against you know the giant spiders. And well, like when they when they first started, you know, people, especially the generation gap, you know, the kids see something new and they they go right for it, you yeah. know, because they're kicking. So the parents were always, I don't I don't understand that. What do you mean a man named Alice Cooper? Right away, you got that when you first started. You say, well, what do you mean he's a man? Why was he why is he called Alice Cooper? Did you get that from totally totally from shock value? The right. idea of the, the in order to get attention, you have to do something that's going to get attention. I figured. Lizzie Borden, you know, what names, you know, like a ba Baby Jane, Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, of course, it was a name that really yeah, sounded like an axe murderer. I didn't realize the other day that the name Led Zeppelin, you know, they always say that went over, there was an old saying, you know, went over like a Led Zeppelin. Their original title was spelled L-E-A-D. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know. And they, they were going out as, you know, went over like Led Zeppelin, and somebody, their manager says, take the A out, for some reason it became L-E-D. And I can never quite figure that, that whole thing out. Ah, and here comes dinner. Feel my Frankenstein!
So here we are. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Award-winning music journalist, Gary Graff. How are you, Gary? Good. How are you today? I'm doing well. You've written a book on Springsteen and a guide to rock albums. Why Alice Cooper? Why now? Uh, well, you know, the why now is uh, is in the title, Alice Cooper at 75. And as you know, it's a, it's part of a series of books about these music icons when they turn 75. Uh, this is the third one in the series following David Bowie and Elton John. And this is one where the publisher actually came to me. Uh, I, this is the third book I've done with the same publisher. We did one on Neil Young and another one on rock and roll myths, both of those with my uh, brother from another mother colleague, Dan Durkles. The publisher knew I was in Detroit, which is one of the Alice Cooper ground zeros, and that I had a, a long-standing and very close relationship with Alice and his organization. So, you know, it's it's fitting the writer with the book. And I certainly jumped at the chance because it's a, it's a wonderful topic. Yeah. So as I've said in the intro, 75 key events, releases and collaborations in Alice Cooper's career, that's what the book focuses on. How do you come up with 75 events or how do you narrow it down? How do you go about that in the process? Yeah, it's definitely the latter. So I made the first list that was at about was about 150, 160. Uh, then I knocked it down to maybe 110, 120. And then I figured out how to cheat. In other words, how to take some of the events, some of the things I felt had to be covered and how can I wedge those into other chapters and whether that's really cheating or not, I prefer to view it as being creative. It tracked. And so, you know, a a chapter about a specific album, say a billion dollars maybe or a school's out, could also incorporate some of the things that were going on at the same period and still be legitimately part of that chapter. So it was, you know, it was just a process of make a list, check it twice, knock it down, knock it down again and figure out how to get everything into the book that I really wanted to. Yeah, so basically you've smashed some of the other things that were on the list into an overall umbrella event, so so to speak, right? Right. I did get dinged for giving them about 6,000 more words than they had actually asked for originally, but we made it work out. As I told them, I'd rather have too much than too little. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. When this publisher comes to you, do they basically have the concept because these these at 75 books, right? David Bowie, Elton John, Alice Cooper, do they already have the concept and the photos and they just say, hey, here's the layout, write a book around this? How does that work with you? They have the, you know, they have the concept that we're going to do these 75 chapters you know, each one about something, you know, in the artist's career. They don't have the art together yet. That's part of a discussion between me as the author and them as well. And they don't really, they didn't create many parameters about what should be written about or what should be covered. That was a back and forth between myself and the editor at the press. And then, and then once we had the list, it was, I had free reign to do whatever I wanted to do. I mean, these guys, one of the reasons I like working with them so much is they're smart enough to, you know, they bring, they bring people in for these projects very deliberately and they let us go, you know, and do what we think. They bring us in because they think we're the best people to write these books and they let us, 
go be the best people to write these books. Yeah, and I mean, these are pretty amazing presentations, and certainly Alice Cooper's career, the artist and his career, lends itself to a book like this. He's very visual, he's very photographic, and there's lots of moments, and certainly his character is iconic in the world or history of rock and roll, however you want to look at it. And even though I don't necessarily consider myself a huge Alice fan, more musically than show-wise, like I went and saw him when I was growing up, and I even saw him uh, a few times more recently. The character, the stage show, all that stuff, I absolutely love. His music for me is hit or miss. I like a lot of it, but there's a lot that I don't like because he's sort of he's sort of all over the place, right? Very much. Uh, that, that's the mark of an artist who has been prolific, like Alice has been. I mean, I think one of the reasons why you see him having the continued popularity and credibility that he has is because he has remained a working musician. And yeah, the fans may not buy the albums like they used to. Nobody buys albums like they used to. Nobody buys music, actually buys it like they used to. But they still, I think the fact that he keeps bringing out new albums, he continues to work, he continues to write songs and record, that still says to people, this is a legitimate, credible artist. This guy is still doing it. He's not one of these guys resting on his laurels, um, you know, and just trotting out and playing, playing the hits every year and putting out a, a new greatest hits album every couple of years. He's making new music on a regular basis. He'll have new music coming out this year. He's still forming other bands. He's got the Hollywood Vampires, you know, with Joe Perry and Johnny Depp. And he's still a very active creator in music. And there's there's a legitimacy to that that I think really translates to the audience. And when you create that larger body of work, you're going to get what you just described, Stephen. You know, you're going to like some of it. You're, you're not going to like some of it. You're going to be indifferent uh, to some of it. But the stuff you like from Alice Cooper, you're really going to love. I mean, this is a guy with not one but two generational anthems. And I'm 18 and school's out. They're going to outlive me, outlive you, outlive our kids, our kids' kids. And that, that's, really, that's really the mark of an iconic artist. Yeah, and he's, he's pretty much one of the few remaining I would consider historic rock and roll figures alive today. I mean, there's not a there, there's not a ton of them left, and a lot of them, you know, are passing away as we speak. You know, David Crosby passed away recently. Just a lot of those iconic artists are kind of disappearing. But like to your point, he's still out there and he's still treading the stage, which is unbelievable given his history. One of the things I really enjoyed about this book is that it does sort of hit on various periods of his career, early part of the career, mid part of the career, current part of the career. It hits on all of those without necessarily spending a ton of time in each area. Like, I love rock biographies. I love to read them. But they spend a really a long amount of time in their childhoods kind of building up to give you an idea of why the artist is who they are and how they became who they are. And these books in general, this one in general, doesn't necessarily do that. 
I mean, Alice doesn't become Alice right away. There's no makeup. There's no crazy show. Where and when do you think all this changes? I think, you know, when they certainly when they moved to Los Angeles. So Alice Cooper was a band before it was a man. That's that's something a lot of people don't really know and understand. It was this group of five guys who moved to Los Angeles. They were the Spiders. They became the Naz. Uh, Todd Rundgren's Naz had a hit with Open My Eyes, and they had to change their name. Uh, they became Alice Cooper. Now, naturally, over the years, it's the guy out front that everybody thinks is Alice Cooper, just like People think Ian Anderson's name is Jethro Tull and uh, Darius Rucker's name is Hootie. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a natural thing to happen. But when they got to what uh, they were already high concept guys as youths, Alice and Dennis Dunaway, the bass player in particular, these were art students. You know, these guys were into the surrealists and Dadaism. And they were also very much into, they were that first pop culture generation raised on little black and white TVs and going to see B-horror movies. And so when they got to Los Angeles, they realized to separate themselves from the pack, they needed to do something different. And that's when they got into the very primitive version of what the Alice Cooper show would become during the early 70s. And there was a guillotine. Uh, in, the, in those early days, and there were all sorts of weird costuming and using, you know, using makeup and things like that. And it really and more attention perhaps paid to that than than to the songwriting. So which is why, you know, they they're the real allure of them to Shep Gordon, who's still Alice's manager 50 years later. And Frank Zappa, who signed them to their first label deal was Here's this band. They get on and play, and within five minutes, most of the crowd has left. There's got to be something there. <laughs> That's what these guys thought, and uh, and so you know they they turned the spectacle into something that was marketable at the beginning, until they learned how to write songs. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like. And leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. You put some mascara on your eyes. Yeah, you know, I read a minute ago. Yeah. Are you now Vince or Alice? I'm about in the middle right now. I'm not really <laughs> drunk enough to be Alice. <laughs> so, That's sort of a midway Alice. Mm -hmm. So you have to be drunk when you're Alice. Yeah, you have to be drunk to put up with Alice. I think it's always the basic thing. Why the name Alice, actually? Well, well, Alice is, you know, such an American name. If you think of Alice Cooper, you know, you'd expect to see a blonde folk singer. And what they see is me. <laughs> Which is totally opposite of what they're expecting. You know, so. Listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Yeah, and I mean, they talk about L.A. just sort of kicking their ass, chewing them up yeah. and spitting them out. It wasn't really until they left L.A. and went to Detroit that it seemed like they sort of turned things around on the right path. At least that's my perception. Yeah, they had to find a, a place that was receptive. I mean, they had a good time in L.A. when you when you get to talking to any of those guys about their time in LA and like living in the same house as Pink Floyd when they came over and hanging with Hendrix and Janis Joplin and the Chambers brothers and the doors. I mean, they had a good time, but it wasn't the right place for them to hone their craft and find an audience. And so they came back to the mid the Midwest, you know, where Alice was from and the Midwest that had a, you know, where Iggy Pop and the Stooges uh, the MC5, they kind of understood the aesthetic of the Alice Cooper band and were receptive to it. But at the same time, it was also once they got back to the Midwest that they began working with Bob Ezrin, the producer, and learned how to write songs and learned how to make records. And so those two things hand in hand were really what created the Alice Cooper we know and love. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, the Hollywood Landmark Hotel. Yeah. What would I give to go back in time and be a resident at the Hollywood Landmark Hotel? I mean, you bust into a room where Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and uh, Jim Morrison are, you know, smoking a doobie. It's unbelievable. And if Alice Cooper doesn't end up in L.A. to have that somewhat of a trial and error and failure you know they ne they never get introduced to shep gordon who you know we know the story was shep right so right. Uh, i think la was an, a necessity first for them to move on and have the success that they ended up having and they got to do you know they got to do those first two albums and really you know kind of kind of get the crap out of the way you know with those experiences and again, get a better sense of what they wanted to be musically as a band. But, you know, it really was 
you know, along with Chef Gordon on the management and, you know, Bob Ezrin, who Alice likes to call their George Martin, uh, you know, was so key in creating creating the sound of the band. Yeah, you think the two most important people in Cooper's career are Shep Gordon and Bob Ezrin? I, I think so. You know, other than these, you know, the members of the band themselves. You know, those 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 are the key guys. Yeah, he's had an incredible lineup of band members along the years, and uh, Frank Zappa certainly was instrumental initially in getting. Alice's foot in the door, but you know, obviously, they didn't have a whole lot of success with that first album. So, my favorite part of the Bob Ezrin story is, you know, he was he was told to get rid of Shep and Alice. You know, he was working for Shep and Alice had gone to Toronto to talk to Jack Richardson at Nimbus Nine Studios because they liked the Guess Who albums and the way they sounded. Richardson hated. The first two albums that they recorded for Zappa and this kid named Bob Ezrin had on the day he started working for Richardson and Nimbus Nine, he said, yeah, go in the lobby and get rid of those two guys. And Alice and Shep managed to sweet talk Bob Ezrin into coming to see them at Max's Kansas City in New York City. And that's where Ezrin heard things, you know, talk about a great set of years in this like 18 minute psychedelic jam that they were playing he heard the root of I'm 18. He thought it was called I'm, I'm Edgy at the time, but he heard the root of that song. And so when he started working at them, was able to, to chip at that block, that big jam they had and say, no, here's where the song is in that song. Let's pursue that. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Look at all the people here tonight. to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there? It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our loud minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. They went on to say that he ran upstairs and told the band, we're going to do this. We're going to do this album. And Dunaway and those guys were kind of like, uh, sure, kid. <laughs> yeah. But they were a little jaded. They were understandably jaded. Zappa, the experience with Zappa and 
and his label that was part of Warner Brothers. It was not a pleasant experience for them. It was very frustrating. They didn't really have Zappa's attention, even though he signed them. They didn't really have the label's attention. The label was ready to drop them, in fact. And there were all sorts of shenanigans that went on once I'm 18 was recorded backdoor shenanigans in order to to get, you know, to, to turn the record into a hit and convince the record company, the big record company, Warner Brothers, that they wanted to hang on to this band and keep keep recording them. Yeah, that's that's the music business in general. As I thumbed through the book and and went through uh, some of the chapters, I ran across a chapter that, uh, and this is what brings it home for me that, you know, Alice came along at a period of time where all these iconic figures were around. And so there's a, there's a, a chapter in there basically called Elvis meets Alice guns, karate and x-rays. Yeah. How do you not stop on something that says guns, karate and x-rays? Come I on. would, I, I'm glad you did. Yeah. That's a, that's a, <laughs> it's a, you know, Alice was meeting everybody. That was the thing. Um, he was so notorious you know, public enemy number one, that one of the great ironies in the Alice Cooper story is the adults who understood him and appreciated him the best were these guys in the Friars Club. You know, uh, Milton Berle, Jack Benny, Bob Hope, uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, all these people, they understood that Alice Cooper was the 1970s incarnate of the vaudeville. That they that they came up doing and they under they understood the act. You know, Alice has you know has told me. You know, George Burns would say to him, "Yeah, Gracie and I were working back in '23 with this guy who had a guillotine, and he got his head off on stage." That's just what you're doing. And um, these guys. So when you think about it, our parents who hated Alice Cooper but loved Jack Benny and Bob Hope and Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, those guys loved Alice Cooper. It's the funniest thing. And so, you know, so he he made those. He was meeting the rock stars, you know, the Hollywood vampires drinking club on one side. And then he had the Friars Club of all these older guys on the other side. And he was just he was woven into the fabric of our popular culture. At the same time, he was the most reviled figure in our popular culture. Yeah, he kept one foot in rock and roll and one foot in old Hollywood. Yeah. old Hollywood, so to speak. So he towed that line and, uh, you know, that's, that's probably a real good place to be. I would imagine as an entertainer. Yeah. He's on Hollywood squares and the Snoop sisters and the Muppet show, uh, you know, and that was, but that was part of the strategy too, was putting Alice Cooper in places you would never expect to see Alice Cooper. And that's how you make those next steps. The, the poison and Wayne's world, generation of alice cooper fans saw him on the muppet show first and you know and that's 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 also part of how he's maintained this longevity is just by doing those kinds of things and ensuring that there's a next generation that it was exposed to him in the right way when they were younger yeah agreed I mean, look, Alice has obviously influenced a ton of artists from people like Rob Zombie on, right? Right. What do you think there really is when you talk about Alice Cooper, to me, instantaneously, a band like Kiss would come to mind because they were a little bit behind Alice. Alice was before them. But 
clearly they were doing or influenced a lot. But yet when you see stories with Kiss or you hear from Kiss, Alice's name really never comes up. It's more like the New York Dolls and things like that. So why do you think uh, Kiss is less associated with Alice than like the New York Dolls? Is it a New York versus West Coast thing or what is it? That's part of it, you know, New York versus West Coast or even Midwest or, you know, the influence and association is so obvious that they're loath to to actually admit it. But I will I have I have spoken with you know, Gene and Paul a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. And if you ask them about Alice Cooper, they are respectful and they acknowledge, they acknowledge, you know, they you know, if they want to hedge it a little, what they'll acknowledge is Alice Cooper's success showed them that they could take what they wanted to do and be successful with it as well. That's what they say was the most inspiring thing about Alice Cooper. And, you know, Kiss, Kiss, to be fair, did take it in their own direction. You know, they weren't doing their version of theatrics were not as Broadway as Alice's were. You know, there, there weren't baby dolls and characters in the Kiss show, but there were pyrotechnics and makeups and and you know, and and they were characters. They are characters unto themselves. You know, the Star Man and the Demon, and and all that that you have in Kiss, and that was certainly inspired by Alice Cooper. And that they will acknowledge, they will acknowledge it. And keep in mind, these are guys who they were actually nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before their first nomination, before Alice Cooper, and at least as I've fairly corroborated that. They said to the Rock Hall, we won't go in before Alice. You got to put him in first. And so, and that's being, that's being gentlemen. Yeah. I mean, really, they are two different types of bands. Kiss blows stuff up, whereas <laughs> Alice is, you know, cuts the heads off of things. And right. I think if, uh, if you were going to ask, I think, I think Kiss is more of a rock band as opposed to Alice Cooper because Alice Cooper is more like um, art rock, right? I mean, there's a there's definitely the show and the songs connect to each other a lot, uh, and it's not not to take away from his band. His band's amazing. It it is a band. That's not what I'm saying. It's just two different factions of of rock and roll, I guess. Yeah, not very much so, just in the same way as, you know, a Rob Zombie's different from a, or even a Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson's kind of a hybrid of the Alice Cooper Kiss model. And, you know, Rob Zombie takes it, you know, on his own, you know, in, in his own direction. Um, but, they, you know, they were, but they, you know, because they were around at the same time and Kiss was slightly after Alice. You know, there's always going to be a legitimate association between the two. Yeah, I think Kiss connected more so to the comic book audience versus an Alice Cooper. And I think that might be, you know, part of why, in my opinion, there they became so much more of a mammoth thing, whereas Alice, Alice was big, but Alice was never like that, right? That's an interesting thing, you know, and it's much the same way as when you look at pop stars now and how much how much bigger like Taylor Swift seems than the Beatles in the 60s. But that's so much about media and how much how much media is available and how, you know, and how many more 
marketing opportunities were, even just by being like three or four years behind Alice Cooper in terms of record releasing, Kiss had more avenues at their, you know, at their disposal than than Alice did. And it's interesting too that then Alice became solid with the comic book world upon his comeback, you know, after he got sober and everything. And in the late eighties, the comic book world, you know, Kiss had tested the waters uh, for that. We could, I think we could say, and then, you know, when the comic, the comic book world was, was more ready for Alice Cooper in 1987 than it was in 1972. Yeah. That was when the, you know, a lot of the comic book world went away from your typical, superheroes and started doing like more graphic novels and and sort of uh some of the macabre type stuff and it sort of fit alice's mold much much better so it it is all about timing isn't it oh yeah yeah timing and what's like i say what's what's available um the comic industry in particular and and the video industry was in a different was in a different place that benefited Alice Cooper, you know, in the mid and late eighties yeah. and on than it, than it did in the seventies In the seventies, he had your basic mass media, you know, newspapers, network television and things like that. And now you, then, you know, when he reemerged, he, there was a much more nuanced media that he, that he could play into and that, that he could use to help drive himself forward. I think it's, I think, it's to the point now where rock groups just can't go up on stage with their Levi's on and say, come on, let's jam. You know, that's dead. That, that died in the 60s. Uh, this is a whole new thing where you have to come in and put a little icing on the cake. You know, and you have to get up there and, and, and do a show for the kids. It's, it's not, you know, that, that whole jam thing doesn't work anymore. You and I talked earlier before we started recording, and we were talking about uh, the presentation of this book and how it sort of matches up with physical product these days and, you know, what you have to do to get past the Kindle users and the iPhone users to get somebody to buy a book. And, you know, this book is very reminiscent of album gatefolds just on a larger scale obvious this is uh would you consider this a coffee table book very much coffee table or a bench press book or a rodent killer you know if you <laughs> if you need to throw it at something in the house it'll it'll do the job it'll also hold a door open um but yeah it is very important now you and there are a lot of parallels going on right now with the book industry the music industry and even the movie industry we have to create physical product experiences that you can't get from your devices. So in the case of Alice Cooper at 75, black velvet slipcover, you know, big, heavy book, good, you know, good heavyweight pages. You get a, you get party favors, you get a poster, you get eight by, by 10 pictures with it. That's all to create an experience that's different and hopefully better than reading the book on your Kindle. 
just like getting the Guns N' Roses um, Appetite for Destruction or Use Your Illusion box set is a better experience than just listening to the album on a streaming service. Just like going to see uh, Top Gun Maverick or uh, the Avatar 2 in a movie theater, you know, with your 3D glasses in the case of a ladder, that's better than watching it stream on your phone or your tablet. You know, and that's what that's what we have to do to sell physical product now because people aren't buying it. So the experience has to be superior. And I mean, I think this thing is totally worth it as a collector and as a follower of, for me personally, as I said earlier, musically, I'm not the hugest Cooper fan, but I love rock and roll history. And I he's definitely a historic rock and roll figure. And this package is so super cool to put your hands on all the photos and, like you said, the cool extra posters that you get in the 8x10. And when you look at this outer shell here, if you look at the detail, as you said, not only with the felt, but the snake imprint inside his face. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty cool artistic detail. What's fun is go find an old black light. And put that on, put the put the, the book under the black light. It's very cool. I'm sure there must be Spencer's still open somewhere. They're, 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 the black light actually has started to make a comeback. Um, which, <laughs> As is a lot of this stuff, right? That what it what is oh, yeah. what is old is new again. You can you can find lava lamps again. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great package. The motor books just puts out uh fantastic product i i've not only loved the alice cooper at 75 but the uh elton john at 75 and the bowie at 75 these projects are fantastic as if you're a historian of rock and roll it's just great and as you said they went after some really good authors yourself martin popoff the product that you guys turned out together for me is really i mean it's second to none in my opinion I appreciate that. And, you know, like, I feel the same way about the publisher. I mean, there's a commitment. I'll give props to Dennis Pernu, who's the editor, you know, behind the music books. And as I said earlier, you know, this is the third one I've done with them and with him. And he's a very committed fan, a really good editor, but somebody who understands the what fans want out of a book. And so it's great. It's great when you have when the people you're working with match your level of passion, you know, for music, for music in general and for these public, for these topics specifically. Yeah. I like the fact that they, I mean, they didn't just go after writers. They went after writers that were intertwined with the rock and roll community and were fans of rock and roll themselves. That to me as a uh, fan, that's an important part of it. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. That's that's been the fun part in in doing things for this book with yourself, with other people. I've yeah, I've spoken to. We've done some live events, you know, some signings and discussion events, and you know, all of these artists we're talking about have them. But Alice Cooper has a particularly uh, virulent and dedicated fan base, all with their own stories and their own experiences and their own viewpoints and. It, it's, it's like a comic con. You get a bunch of geeks in a room who love the same thing and, and you're going to have a ball. Sure. You're going to argue about some things and 
you know, but you're in the end, you're going to be having a good time because you're all talking about something you're deeply passionate about. And that's kind of what I hope the book is. I hope the book is a discussion with the reader and that the passion comes through and that the reader matches it with their passion, uh, even if they disagree with some of the things in there. Yeah. Uh, any plans to do any more? Um, yes. The short answer is yes. Um, and it's the, if I told you I'd have to kill you scenario. Now there are a lot of, there are things in development yeah. right now and just getting these things, just getting the green light on any of these projects involves a lot of research and a lot of discussion uh, with that. I'm not even privy to as the author, but we're bouncing we're bouncing around a few ideas and I'm looking forward to, to having a next thing. Well, if they're done the way these first four that I have were done, then I'll be excited for it. I guess it all comes down to the band that you guys picked to put on the cover. Uh, and certainly there are some iconic bands that are worthwhile to uh, make books out of. I personally think that a band like Alice Cooper uh, was perfect for a book like this because it is so photogenic uh, and just you know, so many amazing shots within this book. So hats off to you. Hats off to Motorbooks. Uh, and uh, Gary Graff, I appreciate your time in going through this with us today. I appreciate yours too and helping spread the word. All right. That's it. Until next week. See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
Pantheon.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.